Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm James Botti in Washington. Today is Tuesday, September 6th, and here are some of the stories we are covering. Kenya's president-elect William Ruto says he will be the president of all Kenyans. My administration shall do justice to all, regardless of their social status, religion, ethnicity, gender, whether they voted at all or whom they voted for. Kenyans have been reacting to the Supreme Court ruling dismissing Odinga's petition to reverse the election results. Nigerian police searched for over 30 travelers abducted in the country's southwest. The U.S. Special Envoy to the Horn of Africa visits Ethiopia. The U.N. says parts of Somalia are on the brink of famine. A lot of the people in those areas have already moved to IDP camps. They have lost their livelihoods. People in those two areas are really in emergency phase of the acute food insecurity classifications. And Gambian authorities begin demolishing homes destroyed by recent flooding. Those stories and more are coming up on Daybreak Africa. President-elect William Ruto says his administration will serve all Kenyans, including those who did not vote for him. Ruto spoke soon after the Supreme Court of Kenya Monday upheld his election and rejected a petition by Raila Odinga to annul the August 9th vote. As Maureen Ojiambo reports from Nairobi, Ruto also promised to fight corruption. The Supreme Court of Kenya has upheld the victory of William Ruto in August presidential election. This comes as a blow to former Prime Minister Raila Odinga, who, as the main petitioner, had alleged fraud in the procedure. Speaking in Nairobi, Ruto said that he will treat all equally, despite being sidelined in President Uhuru Kenyatta's government in his second term. My administration shall do justice to all, regardless of their social status, religion, ethnicity, gender, whether they voted at all or whom they voted for. I therefore extend a hand of brotherhood to all my competitors and to all their supporters. We are not enemies, we are Kenyans. Let us unite to make Kenya a nation where everyone shall be proud to call home. Ruto has not been on good terms with Kenyatta for a while, and in his speech, he said he will contact his good friend and chat about the handover of power. I believe in the rule of law. I do not believe in the handshake stories. I believe in an accountable government held to account by a responsible opposition. That is how Kenya is going to move forward. I will shortly be putting a call to my friend, President Uhuru Kenyatta. I haven't talked to him in months. (laughs) Shortly, I will uh, bring a call to him so that we can have a conversation on uh, the process of um, transition. (laughs) Outgoing President Uhuru Kenyatta has for the first time given a public speech since the elections were held and agreed to hand over power to Ruto. Kenyatta has, however, asked citizens to put their new leaders under scrutiny. The process of handing over is in progress through the Assumption of Office Committee, which actually has already begun its work, and indeed it is my intention to oversee a smooth transition to the next administration, and all the necessary orders to facilitate this process have already been issued. And because democracy is a work in progress, I urge the country to respect the institutions that midwife our new leaders. 
On the other hand, the electoral body chairperson Wafula Chebukate, who also spoke after the Supreme Court verdict, said his staff faced a lot of intimidation. The commission recognizes the support by stakeholders, including the judiciary, the national police service, and service providers who participated in the electoral process. In the course of discharging our constitutional duty, the commission and its staff endured harassment, intimidation, abduction, arrests, and some lost their lives. In this general election, the abuse of IPC staff reached an unimaginable scale. As per the Kenyan constitution, the Supreme Court ruled the president-elect should be sworn in seven days from now. William Ruto will be sworn in to take over from President Uhuru Kenyatta on Tuesday, September 13th. Reporting for viewers, Daybreak Africa, I am Maureen Ujiambo in Nairobi, Kenya. President-elect William Ruto spoke soon after Kenya's Supreme Court on Monday upheld his recent election win. The court unanimously dismissed claims by petitioners, including runner-up and former Prime Minister Raila Odinga, that the vote was rigged. Mohamed Yusuf reports from Nairobi. President-elect William Ruto welcomed Monday's decision, pledging to serve the Kenyan people. And we are truly, truly grateful. And I want to say to the people of Kenya and to those who have made effort to get us here that we will not let you down. We will work hard and we will not let you down. The seven-judge court ruled that results of the August 9th presidential election were valid under the constitution and electoral law. The judges also said they found no significant irregularities or illegalities. Chief Justice Martha Kaome read the ruling on behalf of the other six judges. She dismissed eight petitions challenging the outcome, including the one from former Prime Minister Raila Odinga. The presidential election petition number E005 of 2022 as consolidated with the presidential election petition numbers E001, 2, 3, 4, 7, and 8 of 2022 are hereby dismissed. As a consequence, we declare the election of the first respondent as president-elect to be varied under Article 143 of the Constitution. The court found that the Electoral Commission deployed technology that correctly identified voters, transmitted results, and was not disrupted. The court also said the polling station results were not tampered with and found that Ruto attained more than 50% of the vote. The standard required for the leading candidate to avoid a runoff. Koma said there were some problems with the election, but none that would call for the election to be invalidated. Although the petitioners have provided numerous averments pointing to possible irregularities and illegalities marked by failure of technology, arranged voter suppression, printing and utilization of book two of two, EO preparation by the IMBC and its chairperson, commission indiscretions, transposition anomalies, agent absence, and many others, we are of the view that the pointed illegalities and irregularities were not of such magnitude as to affect the final result of the presidential election. The IBC is the Independent Electoral and Boundaries Commission. Odinga said in a statement that he will respect the court's ruling. He said, quoting here, we have always stood for the rule of law and the constitution. 
in this regard, we respect the opinion of the court, although we vehemently disagree with their decision today. His running mate, Martha Karua, said on Twitter that the court had spoken, but that she disagreed with the findings. One of the lawyers representing Odinga, James Orango, also objected to the ruling. The rule of law should prevail. Uh, the court normally has the last word in making a statement as to what is the law of the land. But as citizens who are sovereign, we are uh, we're entitled to disagree and disagree very vehemently. Ruto will be sworn in next week and become the fifth president of the Republic of Kenya, succeeding Uhuru Kenyatta. Mohamed Yusuf for VA News, Nairobi. Reporter Ruben Kiyama in Nairobi spoke with a cross-section of Kenyans for their views about Monday's Supreme Court decision on the election petition. My name is Kevin Odor. I'm a business person. I'm selling new books and second-hand books. My view, according to the Supreme Court judgment, today I was a little bit shocked uh, because things never went the way I expected. Uh, on my side, I'm a Azimio supporter. So I was expecting a favor on our side, but it never came through. But I appreciate whatever the Supreme Court have made, and we respect the judgment. My name is Daniel Asige. I'm a property officer. Generally, we are pleased with the, how the courts has ruled on the uh, petitions. I think it was fair. It was a fair, a fair ruling. Like they pointed out, there was no good reason to believe that there was fraud. I think the election body did a very commendable job. The other Kenyans should now accept it and move on and accept the new president. Uh, my name is Daniela Irimo, a Kenyan citizen. I think that the verdict of today was very fair and that that was what was supposed to be done today. First of all, Kenyans should go back to work and hustle and get the, the money and to grow the economy. Secondly, we are expecting the government, that the incoming government, to build our country, to make our country a better nation. And from now on, we are supposed to be competing with other nations up there. We are not supposed to be down here. Kenya is supposed to go to a place that no other country has reached. I'm expecting that there is not going to be corruption from now on. I'm expecting that there is going to be change from today. I want to congratulate the president-elect. As a youth, I think that there are so many youth out here that don't have any employment right now. First of all, you should create job opportunities for us so that we can get something to do. My name is Sheila Malesi. According to me, from the Supreme Court rulings today, I'm a bit disappointed. But that shouldn't put us behind. No, the past is the past. People voted, people chose. And they chose Ruto over Raila. It's okay. So I'd like to congratulate the president, the president-elect. And we are looking forward to you helping us tackle the, the problems of unemployment, the poverty, create job opportunities. Message to my fellow Kenyans is... Currently, around this piece, no one is fighting each other. Keep up the good spirit. Keep up going, working. The reactions of some Kenyans to Monday's Supreme Court ruling in the petition challenging William Ruto's way as president-elect. You are listening to Daybreak Africa on The Voice of America. I'm James Butt in Washington. Today is Tuesday, September 6th.
The United Nations said Monday that parts of Somalia, Baidoa, and Banakaba districts in the Bay region will likely be hit by famine between October and December as a drought worsens and global food prices continue to rise. The Horn of Africa is experiencing its worst drought in 40 years. Experts say the region is on track for a fifth failed rainy season in a row. Dal Juran, country director of Mercy Corps in Somalia, tells viewers Carol Van Dam that the country's Bay region has seen the worst of the drought. A lot of the people in those areas have already moved to IDP camps. They have lost their livelihoods. And for quite a while now, people in those two areas, uh, in particular, Beidawo and Burhakaba districts, alongside many other districts in southwest states, were really in emergency phase of the acute food insecurity classification, something that is classified as emergency. And many of the people now with a projected fourth rain failure uh, are really uh, projected to fall into famine uh, soon. What are you seeing in the in the worst hit areas? And, and can you just describe for us the condition of the people that you and humanitarian workers have seen when you come across these people when they come into your camps and service areas? A lot of the people, uh, majority I can say, over half of those 7.1 million people who are affected by the ongoing drought really fall in category of crisis and emergency. And this is slowly progressing into bordering famine in the near future. So I can say between 4 and 5 million of those 7.1 million are already in a really severe phase. Um, of the drought situation. And if you really look on the ground and you'll you'll find many of those families have already lost the little livelihoods that they relied on. And whether it is agriculture with three consecutive rain failures recently and a projected fourth and fifth and also livestock. And you'll find, you know, a lot of these families composed of big numbers, five people, six people, sometimes 10 people. And with the loss of livelihoods, many of these people are now trekking to urban centers. IDP comes in urban settlements or urban centers where they are seeking support. Their conditions, their body and health conditions is really very dire. You know, they have lost weight. And many of them relied on, on, on the little they could get over months. Uh, you will find children who are malnourished uh, mothers, lactating mothers, pregnant women are even more worse affected by the drought. So it is really a site which really you cannot uh, look at. How many people would you say right now in Somalia are starving? You know, the figures are, are really being collected. But what you will find is many of the people affected, majority, are not able to get two or three square meals a day. So um, in remote places where uh, aid agencies cannot assess, we are still finding people who are in poor health conditions are coming to the IDP camps. So I will say majority, half of the people who are now, who have come to IDP camps really are reliant on food aid or support from international agencies, which barely give them sufficient food. That was Daub Duran, country director of Mercy Corps in Somalia. He was speaking to my colleague Carol Van Dam from Mogadishu.
On Sunday, the U.S. Special Envoy to the Horn of Africa, Mike Hammer, arrived in Ethiopia. In a news release, the U.S. State Department said Hammer was planning to meet with politicians and civil society groups to discuss how best to promote efforts towards lasting peace, security, and prosperity for all people in Ethiopia. Henry Wilkins reports from Belheda, Ethiopia. Hammer last visited Ethiopia and met with officials in July during the ceasefire, which the U.S. government said it found encouraging. However, he was told by Ethiopia's Deputy Prime Minister, Demeke Mekanen, that the country remains committed to African Union mediation of any peace talks. The visit comes after fighting in the near two-year conflict between the Ethiopian federal government and rebels with the Tigray People's Liberation Front, TPLF, resumed August 24th, ending the five-month ceasefire. The U.S. has condemned neighboring Ethiopia's re-entry into the conflict, an offensive by the TPLF and airstrikes by the Ethiopian government, which hit civilian areas, including a kindergarten. Before the fighting resumed, peace talks looked possible, with the TPLF favoring mediation by the U.S. and Kenya's government, while the Ethiopian government looked to the African Union to broker talks. William Davidson is an analyst with the International Crisis Group, a Belgian-based political analysis non-profit. Asked what interest the US has in bringing about peace in Ethiopia, he told VOA. Above and beyond the um, desire to bring about peace um, because of its intrinsic benefits um, to, to Ethiopia, because of the devastation that the conflict is causing, um, the US is, is, of course, concerned about the regional and, and geopolitical implications of um, increasing instability in Ethiopia, a critical country in the Horn of Africa, which is a, you know important strategic region itself. Davison says Washington can't force the parties to the negotiating table. At this point, the um, US probably doesn't have um, that much immediate extra leverage to bring to bear. Um, of course, it has the, you know, the diplomatic access and it can implore the parties to you know, recommit to the truce and, and try and achieve talks. But at the moment, um, momentum in the US has sort of moved away from any sort of punitive measures. They did establish a sanctions regime. Among some Ethiopians on social media, there have been accusations the US is biased towards the TPLF. Kiram Tadesi, a pro-government commentator, holds that point of view and even defend the, the TPLF whenever the uh, joint forces or the combined forces of the federal government and other allied forces uh, uh, launch their offensive against the TPLF. Uh, there is a, a clear dissatisfaction among the social media users. Ethiopian states and state-controlled media also frequently parrot the view. VOA reached out to the TPLF and Ethiopian government with requests for comment on the arrival of the US envoy. Neither responded. In Tigray, humanitarian organisations say parts of the region are likely in a state of famine due to a lack of humanitarian aid being allowed in. The government has also shut down telecoms and banking there. With clashes looking set to continue, it remains to be seen whether anyone can persuade the sides to open peace talks. Henry Wilkins for VOA News. Police in Nigeria's southwest Ondo state are searching for more than 30 people abducted Saturday as they were returning home from a funeral. 
The latest mass abduction came just a day after government seized scores of worshippers at a mosque during Friday prayers in Northwest Zamfara State. As Timothy Obiezu reports from Abuja, Nigeria, the almost weekly attacks have Nigerian authorities under intense criticism for the country's worsening insecurity. The police spokesperson in Ondo State, Fumilayo Odunlami, told Lagos-based channels television that the state has sent security agents into the forest to search for the hostages. Odulami said one of the victims had been rescued and was aiding security officials with details of the attack. Gunmen intercepted two vehicles carrying travelers on the Benin or Expressway on Saturday evening. The travelers were returning home from a funeral in nearby Edo State. It's unclear whether the kidnappers have contacted families of the victims. Odulami did not respond to several calls from VOA for comment. A militia in understate known as Amotekun has also deployed its men to search for the abductees. The kidnapping comes amid growing criticism of the government for failing to address security issues across the country. Authorities are trying to stop kidnap for ransom gangs while also battling Islamist insurgent groups in the northeast. Ondo State resident Goke Oluwale said fear is running high. Two vehicles, they are 32 in number, including drivers and their conductors. 32 is an alarming number. The thing has been regular. There is no day they don't kidnap. Last Friday, gunmen disguised as worshippers and invaded a mosque in northwest Zamfara State and abducted dozens of worshippers. In early June, gunmen invaded a Catholic church in Owa, Ondo State, and killed 40 worshippers and injured almost 90 others. Security analyst Senator Irebu over the weekend told VOA that the government has not been proactive in addressing insecurities. I feel most of the responses have been too reactionary and ad hoc in nature. They have not been holistic definition of what is actually happening. Another security analyst, Kabira Damu, says there has been some progress. Security is best deployed in layers, have layers of protection around these locations using technology, especially surveillance capabilities. But it must be mentioned that in the last few months, we've seen an increase in both declarance and operations by the Nigerian security forces, creating huge blows in the capacity and efficiency of the non-state actors to carry out attacks. Last month, Nigerian authorities said military airstrikes neutralized more than 50 members of a kidnapping gang in the northwest and central regions. On Monday, a counterinsurgency expert in the Lake Chad region, Zagazola Makama, said military airstrikes killed 200 insurgents, including five commanders. VOA could not immediately verify these claims. Timothy Obiezu for VOA News. Abuja, Nigeria. The Gambia's Department of Physical Planning and Housing has begun a mission to demolish homes destroyed by recent flash floods. The move has angered the victims of the exercise, claiming they were denied due process. Sajo Brito has more from Banjo. Notified to vacate their properties 
within 48 hours. Victims of a demolition exercise in the Gambia city of Jabang have expressed their frustration. This after the country's physical planning department embarked on the demolition of houses reportedly built along waterways. The exercise follows recent flash floods across the country which have destroyed many properties and left hundreds homeless. An official notice from the physical planning department informed homeowners of the demolition. According to them, the structures were erected without a building permit and the approval of the authorities. The demolition exercise has angered the victims and Gambians at large. And Sumana Dabo is one of the homeowners whose house was demolished. He says his property was legally acquired from the country's Social Security and Housing Finance Corporation. He says issues like these must come with a court order to give them time as his family has been left homeless in under 48 hours. For VOA Daybreak Africa, I am Sajo Brito in Banjul, the Gambia. And that's it for this Tuesday, September 6th edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for joining us this morning. I'm James Boyd.